Whereas when you're on a motorcycle, you, you're just exposed. You're, you're actually in the environment. Everything around you is to be is to be felt and seen and heard and smelled. Welcome to Journey with Jake. This is a podcast about travel and vacations through the eyes of ordinary people like you and me. While it will be somewhat informative, this podcast is about the stories and experiences and the why behind the travel. My goal is to take each of us on a journey each episode as I speak with a different guest about the places and experiences that have meaning to them. My hope is we will each gain a little more insight from these experiences and appreciate the places we like to travel to. After all, it's not all about the destination as it is about the journey. Welcome back to another episode of Journey with Jake. So happy to have you along. This is episode number 11, and we just heard a little snippet from my guest, Mike Jennings. Mike comes to us all the way from Australia, all the way down under. Appreciate him taking the time to chat with me about his experience motorcycling across Asia, in particular across China. And wow, what an experience he had. You're really going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, we'll jump right into it with my guest, Mike Jennings. All right. Today, I have Mike Jennings with me. Mike, welcome to Journey with Jake. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Great. I'm glad to have you. I think everyone can tell from your accent, but you are not from the United States. So tell us a little bit about Mike Jennings. Tell me a little bit about who you are before we get going here. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Yeah, my accent probably gives it away. Um, So I I grew up in Western Australia in a place called Perth. Um, So that's in the, the far west south of the uh, of the country western australia is a is a pretty interesting place uh and perth is even more interesting in that it's one of the most isolated capital cities in the world um so i come at it from a perspective of thinking that the you know the community that lives there it's an amazing place it's really 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 beautiful um but it's definitely hard to uh to get out and go exploring and so i guess uh in sort of setting this podcast up and, and having a bit of a think about some tales that would be good to tell. I thought maybe I'd kick off by giving a little bit of a background on kind of how I got into traveling in the first place. That would be great. would appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. Uh, and so for me, uh, it really stems from my father. Uh, my father was a bit of a, a trailblazer back in the days. I think nowadays it's really common for people to, especially Australians, to go off and, and travel. Anyone I think that spent time uh, overseas will have run into Australians in a, in a vast variety of different places, um, some strange, some familiar. But my dad back in the day, I think he was um, he was at the forefront of kind of taking that traveling experience and, and running with it. So I grew up listening to a lot of his travel tales and stories of uh, places that he'd seen in the world. And that really sparked uh, some inspiration for me to see what was out there sort of beyond the walls of Western Australia, being very far away from everything else. And so... Yeah, I, I, I studied engineering uh, in university and, uh, and got out into the workforce and, and worked for a few years. And then I was like, right, I think now's the, now's the time. Uh, so I, I quit my job and bought a one-way ticket to, to Canada. Um, and I ended up traveling for 18 months uh, solo uh, and went wow. all around the world. Yeah. Wow. So you've been all over the place. Yeah, I've been to a few places now. And um, yeah, I sort of did that one big stint of sort of 18 months uh, continuous, but then didn't let up. So yeah, have found a couple of months a year generally uh, to travel. And um, as a result of COVID, that's obviously dropped right off. 
uh, and was a, was a real challenge. But yeah, prior to COVID, it was pretty, pretty prolific. Wow, very good. Well, I'll have to have you on for some other episodes then on some other places you've been. So for this particular episode, we're kind of going to be talking about your experience motorcycling across Asia. And so that's going to be, I'm, I mean, I'm real curious about that. How did, how did that come about? Mm. Kind of give me the, the background on that. Yeah, so um, I guess for the motorcycle trip across Asia, um, it's interesting, you know, like when I when I started my travels, the start of that 18-month adventure, I'd, I'd never really been anywhere by myself before. I'd done a few smaller trips, you know, been overseas with the family a couple of times and had been on a couple of holidays with friends and things like that, but I'd never really traveled solo before. And so stepping out in Canada for the first time on my own was incredibly nerve-wracking. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea where I was going. I just kind of had- How old were you? How old were Uh, you at the time? I think I was 23 at the time. Okay. Young man. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Um, (laughs) My brother and sister went on this uh, epic traveling adventure when they were 17 and 18. So um, I've got something to live up to. But, um, you know, I got to it when I was 23 and, and that made sense at the time. And I think what was interesting about my journey as it went on and on is I met all of these amazing people who had, who had done amazing things in their adventures and as, as they were traveling. And it kind of gave me this encouragement and this strength. And it was like, well, you know, they're not so different to, to me. If they've done something like that, surely, surely I can do something like that. And that kind of got more and more ridiculous uh, as that uh, period of time progressed until we find ourselves at like, gosh, I think I'd been on the road for... 12 months and I'd come home for Christmas and my brother and his best mate and I were all sitting around um, uh, having some beers and watching Ewan McGregor do the long way around. And if there's any Ewan McGregor fans out there, you know, he's just a bit of a legend. Um, And that original series, uh, The Long Way Around, uh, where they take a motorcycle and and travel London all the way to New York and they go through Mongolia uh, and Russia and they ride the road of bones. It was just incredible, you know, and uh, look, I'll admit we kind of got several beers into it. um, And then we, all of us were kind of motorcycle enthusiasts to varying degrees. And we were like, we should do something like that. You know, how hard can it be in the immortal words of Jeremy Clarkson from, from Top Gear, if there are any Top Gear fans listening as well you know that was the that was the kind of the adage and the attitude that we had it's like yeah how hard can this be let's let's give something like that a go and so i I sat down and started looking into the practicalities and the logistics of setting up a a trip where we would do some grand motorcycling adventure and i i had already ridden the length of vietnam on a motorbike as well that was sort of the last thing that i did before i came back to Australia for for the Christmas break. And that really set things up. And so I had this idea of um, wanting to pick that journey up. We'd sort of ridden ridden our motorcycles to the north of of Vietnam, the border with China. And I was like, gosh, it'd be so cool to kind of head back there and and pick up the trail from where we left off. And the more we kind of looked into it, the more complicated it became, especially taking vehicles across international borders in that particular part of the world is a bit of a like logistical and, and, uh, and paperwork nightmare uh i was gonna say there's probably a lot of paperwork and things that you have a lot of red tape you got to cut through to make that happen yeah that's exactly right so i think in the end we sort of landed on this idea that well you know one of the things that makes motorcycling in in vietnam really really possible is how accessible the motorcycles are you know there's a bit of a a tourist um trail that goes from the north to south and these uh 
you know, the, the Honda Wind is the classic motorcycle. It's like 100 cc's, you know, they're tiny, tiny bikes, but they just do laps up and down the country and people buy them in the south and sell them at the north and then they go back down and, and on the way, every single component of the motorcycle is, uh, is swapped out as, you know, one thing breaks after another. And so we kind of had this theory that was untested of, of, you know, surely we must be able to do something like that in China. You know, these countries that are essentially built uh, on the back of, of these bikes, you know, they're the real working class man motorcycles. And so, yeah, the theory was like, let's go to China. Let's start in the south. Uh, we'll get as close as we can to the border with Vietnam. Uh, we'll buy some secondhand motorcycles. We're also like, we're all students at the time, so we had no money. So we're trying to do this on a, on a bit of a shoestring as well. And we'll kind of just see how it goes. Uh, and that was the that was the start. Wow, that's crazy. That's pretty wild. Hmm. So that's, that's just interesting to me because that was my thoughts thinking before I even talked to you. I'm like, okay, how does he they take their bikes from Australia into, you know, into Asia, into Vietnam or, or China? No, you were, so you got to China and you're like, we're going to buy the bikes here. And that's what you did. Is that what you did? Let's yeah. keep going. I'm, I'm all intrigued now. I got to hear the, the story. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, <laughs> before we, before we kind of get into the journey, actually starting some, some additional uh, like tragic backstory was that my brother, my bit, his best mate and I had kind of arranged to do this this trip together. And it was, gosh, must have been about a month out from us leaving. And my brother was actually involved in a really horrific motorcycle accident. Had a compound fracture to uh, to his leg. He was very, very lucky not that he was able to keep his leg and the surgeons did an amazing job patching him up. Wow. His leg is now um, primarily made out of titanium. All of these crazy metal plates in it. It's just, uh, it was just insane. So that was kind of like that happened. And, and you know, Pete and I were, were sort of a month out from the trip. And so this thing's happened and like, like everyone is just completely devastated. Um, it was just so hard to, to kind of see that happen and then made even harder by the backdrop that, you know, that we had this kind of epic uh, adventure planned. And, you know, after some several like, like really heavy conversations uh, with my brother and his best mate and I, we decided that for Pete and I, we would we would go ahead and we would do the trip anyway. Because what would be even worse than the motorcycle accident happening would be if none of us then went on this trip. Wow! So we kind of overcame that, and uh, and it created this really interesting dynamic as well. Because um, my brother's best mate and I, you know, we'd we'd hung out plenty of times, and you know, we were friends too, but definitely not as close as my my brother and sure. I, and he definitely not as close with me as he was with my brother. So. Yeah, we've, and had these like this interesting dynamic of like two guys who were who were mates but didn't know each other that well, kind of setting out on this adventure. Uh, and anyway, the the day came around. Uh, I, I flew to China a little bit ahead of of Pete. Um, I started in in Beijing because I was keen to see uh, some of the north of China. And then I took a, a train down from Beijing uh, all the way down to uh, to Guilin, which is in um, Guangdong province. Um, and I'll also just pause here and say, for anyone who speaks Mandarin, I am so sorry for the pronunciation of all of the names of all of the places <laughs> hey, that we went. <laughs> every time I talk to somebody international somewhere, I'm always butchering the name. So yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I totally get it. I appreciate what you that. I appreciate what you shared though, kind of that backstory because mm. a lot of these journeys that we take and these trips that we take, some of the pre-planning and some of those backstories are important. That's kind of what shapes the whole the whole trip. And this shaped it big time for you. You're looking, you're thinking you're going to be with your brother and his mate. And then, but no, it's you and his mate and you're not, you're close, but not super close. So just the dynamics there already, it's, it's kind of changed the trajectory of your trip a little bit. So that's, that's yeah. I always like hearing the, the pre stuff, you know, because that's, 
Mm. That's just as important to me. It's part of the whole, the whole journey. Mm, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, and it really set this interesting trajectory for it as well, because we were kind of then in China to do this trip, not only for us, but to do it for my brother as well. And um, yeah, and I think we also tried to make a bit of a, a cause out of it as well. There was um, It was close to the time of the, the earthquakes in, in Nepal. So we ran a bit of a fundraising campaign leading up to it as well. And we sort of said, you know, the plan was to, to ride these motorcycles across the country. And uh, the aim is to sort of raise money in the process as well. So we tried to connect it to, you know, a few different aspects so that it wasn't just, you know, the two of us going on this crazy adventure, which maybe would have been enough, but it was kind of nice to use it as a bit of a platform as well. That's great. Very mm. good. So mm. you flew into Beijing, you took a train down South. Yeah. And then kind of where does, where does that take us? Yeah. Well, the, 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 the really funny thing is that in Beijing, you know, like neither Pete nor I had ever been to China and, and we'd done as much research as we possibly could, but you know, this was back in 2015 and there were very few accounts uh, available online and elsewhere of, of people that had actually ridden motorcycles through China. You know, we found a couple of examples, a couple of people who had uh, who had blog posts and things like that, but information was pretty scarce. So there was kind of this idea and this theory, but it was completely untested. And when I flew into Beijing, I was really worried because like there were no motorcycles anywhere. And I was like, what is going on? And instead of motorcycles- Compared to Vietnam, right? Where it was- they were oh, everywhere. It's like a sea in Vietnam. You you can't, you know, you could throw a stick and hit six motorcycles. Like it's just unbelievable. In in uh, in Beijing, in China, there were still bikes around, but they were all electric. And I later learned that um, it, it's because of the amount of pollution, particularly in Beijing and, and for some of the other sort of mega cities that that lie. Uh, to the east of the population line, they've actually sort of outlawed motorcycles, and instead, you know, there's this, there's been this big influx of uh, of electric bikes. But again, back in 2015, you know, there were very few electric bikes floating around. They're probably a little bit more common these days, and, and wouldn't raise so many eyebrows. But yeah, in Beijing, I was like, we are not going to make it far across China if we are on electric on an electric bikes. bike. Yeah. So thankfully, as we as we traveled south, um, I actually befriended uh, one of the guys who was working on the train. And it's like a three day train. Um, I can't remember exactly how long it how long it takes. But um, but this gentleman like spoke a little bit of English and, and we sort of befriended each other on this journey down as he'd come through with his noodles. I'd, you know, I'd buy them, we'd have a chat and, and I got to chatting about, you know, what it was that we were here to do and, and, and how we were going to plan to do it. And he, he couldn't believe it. He was just gobsmacked that, you know, I, I guess that the audacity of, of, you know, this like crazy young Australian just being like, yeah, I'm just going to buy a motorcycle and, and ride across train. It'll be, it'll be good. It'll be fun. And I got really lucky too, because he offered, by the time we got to uh, Guilin in the South, he actually offered to help us out in purchasing the motorcycles. So that gave me hope his knowledge that there were motorcycles wow. in in the place where we were going and when i got off the train like we we swapped numbers and then i i went and met up with pete in uh in a hostel you know and uh and and we sort of reconnected and you know this thing's really happening now you know it's 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 actually taking shape and it's actually looking like it might be possible as well and then we hook we uh we connect uh with this guy that i've met on the train um and yeah the next day he takes us out motorcycle shopping and we and we go around uh to a few different like secondhand dealers um and eventually uh purchase i i got a a chinese made 125cc uh lonson uh, motorcycle and and Pete got a Pete got a Yamaha which was also about 125 cc's and uh, yeah for anyone who knows bikes that is not a lot of power uh, that is they are really tiny motorcycles but our theory was that 
having something that was that basic and that like they're, they're really they're really useful actually because they're very light, um, which means if you ever go down, they're very easy to pick up again. And the theory is as well that the, the sort of the cheaper they are, the more common they are, the easier it is to come across parts. And I know from from experience that it's often like things always break, always. And an ability to find the right part wherever you are, especially going on a one-way journey, is critical to enabling you to keep traveling. If you can't find those parts, like you'll just be, you'll be just be stuck. You'll basically be marooned. Um, and that's the risk, especially with like the larger sort of more established, you know, motorcycle brands like the, the KTMs or the BMWs. They might go, gosh, you know, 10 times as far, but, you know, eventually their parts will break as well. And, and if there doesn't happen to be a, a BMW dealer, you know, in, in, a, in a tiny little, you know, town on the Tibetan plateau where you, where you happen to break down, uh, you're going to be pretty stuck. Uh, so that was, the rash- that's, that was the rationale. Yeah. Wow, there's just so many factors going into this. This is crazy. This is this is quite interesting because there's just all these different factors you have to contend with. It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, there was a, there was a bit going on, but yeah. So so we got the bikes and and we were sort of all all set up. Our friend also took us out that day and like showed us showed us the local um, the local city where we were and took us to like the local watering holes and took us out for dinner and the hospitality was just insanely cool. Um, it was just amazing. That's, I mean, that's another thing about these trips. When you meet people, come across people like that. I mean, that guy kind of saved you a little bit. He kind of got you, you know, got you going on the on the right foot absolutely. for sure. If you hadn't met him, yeah. who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We would have had no idea where to start. Um, it could have taken us days longer. And that was another aspect of the trip is that we only had a visa to be in the country for 40 days. So we had about 8,000 kilometers uh, to travel and less than 40 days to do it in because I'd burnt a few of those by hanging out in Beijing for a few days and then heading down. So yeah, we were also seriously pressed for time. um, And that also created some, some sort of pressure in the background for us as well. Wow. Yeah. Got to get, so yeah, you're probably down to about 35 days or something at this point by the time you got there, got your bikes, got situated. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Good. Mm. Excellent. Mm. So yeah. So keep, I mean, I, I'm enjoying this. This is like, I'm, I'm with you here in, in yeah. China, you know, so whatever you feel comfortable with, keep telling us about the trip and kind of what you yeah. ran into and what you came across and just yeah. kind of fill us in if you wouldn't mind. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe I'll, I'll just like give an outline of, of kind of the, the route that we took and, and some of the things that we, we saw along the way. So we, we started in Guangdong province in, and in Guilin, um, and, uh, and, and took a look at uh, Yangshou as well is an amazing location with these like karst mountains and uh and beautiful beautiful rivers uh and then we headed north to uh hunan province um and checked out a place called tianmen mountain which is just another incredible um destination uh we then went northwest into chongqing where we saw one of the largest natural archways uh in the world further west into uh sichuan uh we checked out um leishan which is home to uh to the world's largest giant buddha which is carved into uh into the side of a mountain and it's just incredible and then we tracked northeast into uh shangxi and saw xian and the and um the terracotta warriors and uh hushan mountain as well and then headed southwest into gangso uh went to langmusi before we traveled through um Qinghai, which is uh, getting up onto the tibetan plateau um we went around uh Qinghai lake which is the largest lake in china and it's as big as rhode island as as well okay. for some contextual size it's just incredibly massive 
And we traveled all the way across the, the Tibetan plateau without going into Tibet. That was a, that was a, a political challenge that was, was too great for us to overcome. Uh, but the plateau itself extends, you know, far beyond the, the borders of, um, of the map. And we got the bikes up to an altitude of about 3,800 meters. I didn't do the conversion, so I don't know what that is in feet. Yeah, I'll have to figure that one out. Yeah. Everyone's going to be pulling out their calculators, I guess, or going on the internet. Yeah, but yeah, the, the Tibetan plateau was just incredible. And finally, we came down into uh, Xinjiang province and uh, and traveled across the, the Gobi Desert. And uh, probably the one of the most interesting things we did there was we made it out to the Eurasian Pole of Inaccessibility, which is the point on the planet that is farthest from any ocean. So. Wow. Oh. Straight line distance, can't get any farther away from any ocean. From any ocean, wow. The Eurasian Pole of Inaccessibility. Um, and as the name suggests, it is quite inaccessible. Yeah. I guess um, that's the nice part about having bikes. You can kind of access those a little more easily. I mean, mm. still tough, but you can you can get there. So tell mm. me, too, the background. I mean, what's the weather like? I mean, do you just have a backpack with your gear? I mean, is that all you're carrying? Yeah, yeah. So um, we had uh, we had a, a small day pack and a, and a larger like hiking pack, and we'd strap the hiking packs to the back of the bikes, um, and the day packs we'd ride uh, ride without on our fronts, and uh, and that kind of did us did us for the gear. Pete had a uh, like a one person swag uh, that he took um, with him, and and I attempted to find a tent. Uh, we were thinking that we'd do some camping, and we did do some camping, but it was actually surprisingly difficult to find like uh, low cost, affordable like outdoor camping gear it was all incredibly expensive which was which is actually quite surprising so i think i ended up with a hammock and uh <laughs> and which was great in theory but we actually spent a lot of time in the desert and uh most of the places where we camped were also in the desert and the desert has a distinct lack of trees and so i had this i had this uh i had this hammock but it was uh it was not able to be hung up anywhere so it was useless <laughs> it was more or less useless yeah um used it as a blanket a few times and that was about it yeah wow Mm. How was the weather for you? I mean, I guess it changed. You're going different elevations and things. So I'm guessing you had quite a bit of change in the weather. Definitely. Yeah. So kind of across that journey, you know, like the, so just kind of closing out that, that trip, you know, Xinjiang provinces as, as far west as we got. And then you hit the border with Kazakhstan. Uh, and eventually we did cross over into, into Kazakhstan, but you're exactly right. Like we, we, so we traversed um, the entire width of the country basically as from as far east to as far west as you can go plus minus a few hundred kilometers and what was really interesting was to observe the differences between I don't know if you've ever heard of the the population line in in china it's this imaginary line that runs from the north to the south of china and i can't remember the exact statistics but it's something like 85 or 90 percent of the population live east of the population line gotcha okay and it's not very far uh, west from the east of the country. So it's actually like it's quite this, it's a really intensely dense, you know, part of the country. And it's just the, the cities in that part of the world are just um, bumper to bumper. It's almost just one continuous city from the, from the north to the south. It's just, it's actually mind blowing uh, to see it. I'd, I'd never sort of never come across it before. And to, to sort of be there and experiencing it firsthand was, uh, was really intense. East of the population line, the the weather was um, uh, was generally pretty smoggy. So there was a lot of lot of pollution around, a lot of smog. It was pretty rare to sort of see blue skies, and the weather was it was just hot and humid. Uh, I think we were there around just shy of the the middle of the year, so it would have been around um, May to to June, somewhere around that. So it was pretty hot, pretty humid, and then eventually, I think we were probably 
about two weeks into our trip uh, when we passed west of the population line. And it was like night and day. It was just incredible. We kind of popped out through this mountain range uh, and suddenly we were just in, in blue skies um, and the weather was oh. incredible. Yeah. But yeah, we had all, all different types of weather from like freezing, freezing cold up on, on, on the plateau. Um, and you see lots of, uh, lots of people riding their motorcycles around with the sort of the mittens uh, attached to the, to the handlebars. Um, and uh, once you're kind of in that environment, it makes a lot of sense. I'd never seen that before. It makes a lot of sense as to why that was the case. Australia is a, a pretty hot place. And, and when I was in Vietnam, it was the same thing there. So, yeah, I was like learning all of these things about motorcycling um, uh, across countries. And, yeah, I think I had a very uh, thin pair of gloves and uh, that didn't quite do the, uh, do the trick. And then, yeah, we were riding in deserts. Uh, where the heat was just uh, incredibly, incredibly hot and very, very, very dry. And, uh, and we had rain and, uh, you know, torrential downpours and had to weather that as well. Wow. You had everything. That's that man that makes part of the trip too. Wow. That's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like having, having kind of done a couple of motorcycle trips before China, I, I sort of fell in love with the idea of traveling by motorcycle as a way to uh, to see and experience a place. There's actually a, a fantastic book uh, called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert M. Persig. And um, in it, there's this fantastic phrase where he sort of talks about uh, the virtues of, of seeing an environment uh, by motorcycle. He sort of talks about this fact that when you're doing a road trip and you're in a car, um, you, you're definitely experiencing a place and, and seeing things firsthand, but it kind of goes by as if you were sitting in a movie theater um, and you're so w- watching this, uh, this landscape kind of unfold before your eyes, but it's, it's behind a pane of glass and it's sort of framed uh, by the, the, the physical frame of the car. Whereas when you're on a motorcycle, you, you're just exposed. You're, you're actually in the environment. Everything around you is to be is to be felt and seen and heard and smelled. And it's even things like when you drive down into a hollow and the temperature drops, you feel that really vividly through your entire body. And, and when you come up the other side of it, suddenly the temperature rises again, you know, and if you're, if it's raining, you get wet. And if it's hot, you are hot, um, you know, and, and it's just, it's so much more visceral and you're, you're just so much more connected to the place that you're traveling through. And I think on the motorcycles that we were on as well, it sort of offers this nice compromise between sort of slow traveling and fast traveling. Um, you know, you're still able to get from, from A to B relatively quickly, but by the same token, you know, these bikes, I think their top speed was probably about 80, 80 kilometers an hour. Again, sorry, I don't know what the conversion is for miles per hour. <laughs> Everyone can look it up. They're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, they, they don't go too fast. And so you're, you're physically limited by that as well, which means you're forced to, to sort of stop and, and take it all in. Of course, the shadow side for us was that we were working to a deadline. Um, and so there were definitely days where we were on the bikes for 12 just or 13 hard. or 14 yeah. hours. Yeah, because we just needed to make it to the sort of the next major city, find somewhere to sleep so that we could keep going the next day. Pretty wild. I mean, you're right. I I haven't thought of that before, but you're right. Car trips are great. You know, I love car trips, but it is, it's a totally different thing. You are, it is almost like you're in a movie theater kind of watching it go by and everything's framed and Mm. and right there for you, but you're living it. You're experiencing all of it, the hot, the cold, the wet, the dry, for sure. Mm. So you talked about, you camped a few times when you did stay somewhere, where were you staying typically? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. It was it was reasonably challenging uh, for us to find places to stay, and it depended where we were. Some places uh, had uh, had issues taking foreigners in, and we were also bound by the budget that we were traveling to as well. But again, you know, this this idea of like 
people helping you out as you're traveling and really needing to rely sometimes on, on the kindness of strangers reminds me of an example where it was one of those really hectic days. I think we'd been on the road for, for 12 or 13 hours and night had fallen a long time ago and we were in a particularly industrial part of China, sort of heading towards the plateau, but not quite yet in it. Man, we were just worn out. I think it had been raining during the day. We we're kind of a bit wet, a bit soggy, like super grimy. Uh, and there's just trucks going everywhere and it's super loud. And we finally make it to this uh, to this city and we're riding up and down the main road and we just like, it can't easily spot somewhere to stay. And so Pete and I, we decide to divide and conquer uh, and go and look for a look for a hotel. And I'm walking down the street and I walk into a couple of places and uh, they just don't want to have a bar of me. I think they take one look at me and like, oh, look, this guy's like just too much trouble. Uh, and I was feeling super down and super dejected. And I remember walking along the side of the road and just kind of feeling pretty lost and not really sure kind of what to do, especially being so tired. When the craziest thing happens, I feel this little hand in my hand and I look down and there's this little girl and she must have been like nine years old. And she just, I look down at her and she looks up at me and she says, are you lost? Like, do you need help? And she spoke some English and I was like, yeah, actually I do need help. I'm, I'm trying to find somewhere to stay. And she's like, I'll help you. And she like takes me by the hand and leads me back towards her family and uh, her dad and her brothers are sitting outside uh, at a little like cafe restaurant type thing, having some food and they're just finishing up. And she says something to her father and you can see the look on the father's face. He's like super concerned, like, whoa, who is this like, who is this Australian guy that's just like got my daughter by the hand? I'm like, dude, I'm, she's, she's helping me, you know? And, uh, and she must have explained, you know, kind of the situation. She was like, he's looking for a hotel. Uh, you know, can we help him? And like the, the look on her dad's face just like softened as he kind of realized what the situation was. And he was like, oh, yeah, I, I guess so. And anyways, takes me to his car and we, we jump in his car and, and we drive back up the road in the direction that I just come from. And one of the first places that we walk into was one of the first places I walked into and being rejected like, 15 or 30 minutes earlier. And I can see that he's having a conversation with the, uh, you know, the person behind the desk. And, and, uh, and I see her make this, um, this movement with her hands and she kind of brings her hands to her face and, and makes the, like a, a frowning gesture. And, and I, I didn't understand what they were saying, but I kind of got the picture. It was like, I didn't want to take him in earlier because he just looked so sullen and, and so like, you know, like he was just going to be trouble. And anyway, the, the dad sort of worked his magic and, and eventually she kind of softened and, and let us stay the night. And it just kind of, it, it, it just really spoke to me and reminded me of A, the power of like being friendly and smiling when you're on the road and you're in a strange and unfamiliar place. And also B, just that, you know, that, that kindness of, uh, of strangers, um, you know, especially when you really need the help. Wow, what a gift. You were, you were given a gift that night. And Absolutely. it's awesome yeah. too, from the innocence of a, of a child. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's amazing. That's an amazing story. And I'm sure it's something you'll never forget. That's Absolutely. great. Absolutely, Never. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Any other experiences or stories that you want to share with us? Cause I, I mean, I like hearing these little, these, yeah. these are things that are making your trip and then you're going to always reflect on these things. So any other stories that you wouldn't mind sharing? Yeah, look, absolutely. There's some, some funny ones as well. Um, <laughs> thinking about like the trials and tribulations of, of, of riding a motorcycle across a, a strange country, especially one where you don't speak the language. 
you know, something that was always going to happen and, and happened probably more times than we, we thought it would or hoped it would uh, was the motorcycles breaking down. And I'd sort of done some prep, you know, knowing that this was coming, I'd, I'd prepared a, a cheat sheet um, of motorcycle parts in English uh, and then Pinyin, which is like, um, as like uh, the Chinese characters like translated into uh, alpha uh, numeric, numeric uh, characters and then into the Chinese characters as well. So I kind of had this translation sheet that I was hoping would, um, would, would help us, you know, in these moments where we broke down. And it had a couple of choice phrases on it as well. But one thing that one kind of phrase that I, I really didn't have and I really wish that I did have and didn't think about it before the trip happened was, um, you know, I'd, I'd rock up to a, a mechanic and, uh, and I'd say, uh, I'd want to be able to say, hi, you know, I'm, I'm an Australian. I'm, I'm traveling through your country on a motorcycle. I've, I've come from Guilin and, and I'm heading kind of north and west. Uh, I need you, the mechanic, to come with me because my friend who is also traveling with me has broken down and, and he's not here right now because his motorcycle doesn't work um, and I don't know how to fix it. So I need you to come with me and help fix his motorcycle. It turns out that I had to say that phrase so many times across, across the trip and, of course, I had none of the language to be able to do so. But it is amazing how much you can communicate with like pointing gestures, you know, you know, making gestures with your hands and, and signing and kind of, you know, smiling and, and being like, I'm not here to hurt you, but I really do need you to come with me. It's very important because I have no idea why his motorcycle isn't working. And, and it was so funny a couple of times, um, you know, I, I would kind of shepherd the, the mechanic onto the back of my motorcycle and he'd just be looking very confused. Um, and we'd be riding down the road like, I don't know, 100, 200, 300, 500 meters. And eventually my friend would come into view and you saw the expression on his face change. He's like, ah, I get it now. There's two of you and he's broken down. And that's where's this guy taking me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This is crazy. yeah, so that, that, was, that was pretty funny. That happened, um, yeah, more more times than more times than I can count. And it's amazing that you made it happen, though. Like you said, gesturing, you know, mm. pointing, doing, you know, it's it's amazing how as humans we can communicate when we can't communicate. Absolutely, you know, and and that probably leads to like one of the the last like tales of the trip that will stay with me for a, a very long time. Um, it, we sort of we're, we're setting ourselves up with this mission of again, you know, this whole this whole trip was like we'll just we'll just suck it and see. We'll just see what happens. We'll see how far we can get. And we had this real like stretch goal, like this thing that we were hoping to do, but didn't know if we would be able to do it. And that was actually going to be to finish our motorcycle journey in Kazakhstan, uh, in the capital, um, Almaty. And one of the, we, we sort of had set ourselves up with that as the goal. And we sort of paced ourselves across China so that we'd be at the border uh, with Kazakhstan um, just before our, our visa expired. And we made it to the border like, in the evening, uh, so that we agreed, you know, the next day that we'd, we'd get up early and, and we cross the border and, and see how far we could get. And so we were there early, you know, basically as soon as the, the border opened, we, we headed through and we left China without any issues whatsoever. And we made it to the border with Kazakhstan. And then we were stopped at the border and the border guards uh, said to us, you know, you know, well, well, you guys are welcome to come into Kazakhstan, but you have to leave your bikes here. And we were like, what do you mean? It's like, well, do you have the papers for the, for the bikes? And we were like, what papers? Um, we kind of pulled out the registration papers that we'd, we'd been given when we bought the motorcycles. And they were like, no, no, you, you basically need, um, I think in different parts of the world, it's called different things, something similar to a, a passage to Carnet, uh, you know, the, the sort of the import-export papers uh, for the bikes, uh, of course, which we didn't have. Uh, we didn't know that those were, that was something that we needed to have. And so 
at this point, we're sort of standing having this conversation with the border guards. And one of the border guards is on my motorcycle doing donuts, uh, like in, in the parking lot of the, uh, of, of, the, of the border. He's having fun. Having fun. And we're like, well, we're not having a bar of this. And they're like, well, we've got two options. You can come across on foot or you can go back to China. And so, you know, for Pete and I, we've been on these bikes uh, for like 30 odd, 35 odd days at this point. We'd ridden 8,000 kilometers and we were just so exhausted, but so in love with these machines. You know, they'd taken us literally from one side of the country to the other through hell and high water uh, and back again. Um, you know, we had the, the the scars, the scrapes, the bumps uh, to, to prove it. And, you know, just about every component on the motorcycles had been had been changed out by this point. And we were not going to, like, give these motorcycles up without a, without a fight. So we're like, well, I guess we're going back to China. And so we jumped back on the bikes, turned around, and, uh, and at that moment we realised that Pete's motorcycle had uh, gotten a flat tyre at some point in our journey. And so the, the air was, like, deflating out of his tyre and we were sort of on our way back to, uh, back to China. And there was quite a road between China and, and Kazakhstan. It was, a, like, a U-shaped road. It was a couple of kilometers long or probably i don't know mile and a half long um a decent a decent way to travel and and definitely farther than we could push the bikes and we attempted to repair the bikes a couple of times with the the tools and the kit that we had but in the end we we realized that two things one we needed another spanner as we only had um for whatever reason we needed one more spanner and second of all we actually needed another tube uh for the tire it had been punctured in a few different places we must have ridden over some glass or or some um you know a couple of screws or something like that and so it got to the point where Pete's motorcycle actually like jammed in no man's land and he was literally stuck. You know, these things are light, but they still weigh, you know, a few hundred kilos at least plus all of our gear. Uh, And so I was like, okay, well, hang tight. Like I'll go back to China and and I'll get help. And so I ride back to back to the border and, uh, and as I, I roll up, I I sort of waving and the border guards are are obviously pretty confused, um, you know, what's this guy doing? It's, it's very early in the morning for someone to be coming from Kazakhstan. Uh, and I get to the border and, and I'm, I'm trying to have this conversation with one of the border guards. And thankfully he did speak um, some English and, and we were able to, to communicate a little bit, but he just couldn't, again, you know, it was this situation, like I need you to help me because my friend who's not here right now, his motorcycle is broken and he's stuck in no man's land. And, you know, it was like the day was kind of getting on by this point And at that part of the world, you know, we're basically in the desert. So the temperature is is soaring. It's getting really, really hot. And Pete is just stuck, like literally by himself in no man's land, you know, between Kazakhstan and China. And I'm trying to have this conversation with this border guard being like, I just need you to help me here. I, I need to go back into China so I can get a spanner and a spare tube and come back to, to help my mate. And kind of before we can even get to a, a, a point of um, communication where we're both understanding each other, he kind of disappears like somewhat suddenly. And about half an hour later, he comes back and I'm like, great, you're back. You know, you're going to help me. Fantastic. And he goes, you are in big, big trouble. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? Like, what's, what's going on? He's like, uh, I don't have the, I don't have the word in, in English. And, and he pulls out his phone and he, he writes a, a Chinese character on his phone and then it translates and he shows me the translation and it just says smuggling. And I was oh like, uh, what? 
Wow. And it turns out what had happened was when we left China earlier that day, we'd, we'd passed through and no one had kind of flagged us down uh, to go through customs. And so we hadn't officially, de- like, we hadn't officially passed through customs on, on our way out of the country. We had a passport stamped. Uh, so we we'd kind of cleared immigration from that perspective, but we hadn't cleared customs. And so it was the customs guards that were really taking issue with the fact that I was trying to come back into China with this motorcycle in particular. And so basically what they were accusing me of was um, uh, was, was smuggling this, attempting to smuggle this motorcycle back into China. And, and it got really serious. The border guard was like, you need to call your embassy. Like the last time, uh, you know, this happened, uh, the travelers, they ended up in, in prison for, you know, an extended period of time. And I was like, oh, my God, this is getting really, really serious. But I was like, I literally can't worry about that right now because Pete, is stuck in no man's land. <laughs> I was going to say, you're still, you're by yourself here dealing with this. Pete's still, Pete's still by stuck. himself. A hundred percent. And I was like, okay. Like I said to my border guard friend, I was like, okay, we'll, we'll deal with this. We'll deal with this. But first I really need you to help me with this particular challenge right now. And I, and again, you know, I, I must've spent over an hour trying to explain the situation and, uh, and the, the trouble that we were having and to communicate to him, the fact that I just needed these two parts for the motorcycle. And eventually we kind of, we reached a level of understanding and he was like, okay, okay. And he's like, he's like, come, come with me. And so he takes me around to, um, he disappears a little while later, he comes back and we go around to, uh, there's like a, um, you know, one of those wire fences, you know, that are sort of the the hexagonal shapes. Um, And his friend is now standing on the other, so he's friend is in China. He's standing on the other side of this, uh, the other side of this fence. And the border guard and I are, are in, are in sort of no man's land. Uh, and he's like, pay him, pay him for the parts. And so I, I, I give this guy in China some money through the fence and he just then disappears and the border guard disappears as well. And I'm like, okay, I, I guess I, I guess I wait here. And I must've waited for about an hour. Um, and eventually this guy comes back and he has the spanner and he has the tube for the motorcycle. Uh, for the tire. I'm like, unbelievable. This is just, this is fantastic. So I take take these parts. I jump back on my motorcycle. You know, the border guard's fine with this because I'm technically still in no man's land. So, you know, he he lets me leave. That's not an issue. Uh, He's still obviously kind of confused with what's going on. But at this point as well, we started to build a little bit of a rapport. You know, we're sort of joking and, and laughing and I've I'm remembering the, the the experiences from previously previously in the trip in the trip too around you know the the power of of smiling and, and being friendly and, and being really personable. So I'm trying to bring everything to this situation because it's just completely out of hand. So I go back to Pete and I'm like, Pete, I've got it, I've got the parts. And by this point, it's like the middle of the afternoon, maybe even later, and it takes us probably another hour to to fix the tire. And so we finish getting the tire all set up. The bike is operational. I've got my bike. We're literally between Kazakhstan and China, and it's now getting towards the, the, the end of the afternoon. And I say to Pete, there's something that I haven't told you yet. And Pete says, what's that? And I was like, well, I didn't want to worry you until we had these bikes fixed and sorted. I was like, we've got two options. We can either take the bikes and go back to Kazakhstan and leave them at the border, or we can go back to China. We don't have time to do both because the border shuts pretty soon. And if we go back to China, uh, they've accused of, of, of smuggling the motorcycles out of China and trying to get them back in. Uh, and they're threatening us with jail time. And Pete just looks at me like, you're kidding. What? And so I explained it again. We're like, okay, 
I'm like, so what do you want to do? And I have to, I have to reiterate how important these bikes were to us. And we're like, well, there's still a chance that we can kind of sort all of this out. So I guess we're going back to China. Wow. You made that decision. Wow. Loving those bikes. So we jump back on the, on the motorcycles and we ride back to China and the border guard that I've been dealing with all day kind of like waves at us. And again, you kind of see the light bulb go on. He's like, oh, there's two of you. It's like, yes, that's what I've been trying to communicate to you the whole day. And uh, he, he, he kind of greets me with a smile and, um, and uh, he says, you know, he says, okay, I understand. He's like, wait here. And again, he disappears. I don't know what happens every time they disappear, but it takes hours. <laughs> it takes like, absolutely forever. And the sun is like setting at this point and we're both starting to get pretty stressed out because the, 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 the border for Kazakhstan has now closed at this point. So we kind of have one, one card left to play here. Anyway, eventually the border guard comes back Without saying anything, he asks to see our passports and he asks to see our luggage. And so we undo all of our luggage from our bikes and, and we take it over and we go inside and he cancels the, the exit uh, from our visa, like stamps over the top of it, and then kind of has a rough rummage through our luggage. And then he comes, he takes us back outside and we, we load the bikes up again. Again, you know, there's very little communication happening just because English is not his strong suit and obviously we don't, we don't speak Mandarin. But eventually he kind of takes us around the, the side of the, uh, of, of the border station uh, and opens the boom gate up and he says, welcome back to China. And I said to him, I was like, what? Like, I don't understand. Like, this is amazing. I was like, thank you. Like, what, what happened? And it took a little while, but... Eventually, he explained, he's like, it's okay, I understand. Misunderstandings with customs, no harm done. I explained to customs, it's all good. And so what, what had happened was, you know, while all of this was going on, like he'd been going into bat for us with the customs guides being like, you know, these are just a couple of like ragtag Australians. They're just trying to ride their bikes around. They just didn't, they just didn't know that they had to take them through customs before leaving. They haven't done any harm. And so, yeah, so we, we were allowed back into China and, uh, and that gave us like this, uh, this, this one final pass at, at, uh, at sort of getting the paperwork that we'd need uh, to take the bikes into Kazakhstan. The, the conclusion of the story is that actually, because our visas were going to expire the next day, we went to the police station and tried to find out about, um, you know, the permits that we required. And I think it was going to be possible for us to get them, but not from that town. The town where we could get them was a day's ride away. And so kind of at that point, I was like, all right, like this situation is kind of out of our hands. We've literally done everything that we possibly could to keep these. And we're kind of now at the, at the mercy of the situation. Uh, and so we made the call to, um, to sell the bikes uh, that evening. We found a mechanic. We sold them to, we sold the bikes to the mechanic. Um, the mechanic took us out for this amazing dinner. And then the next morning we went back to the border. And, um, and the conclusion of the story is that as we came through the border, we're now on foot. So we've got all our bags with us. And we see the border guard, you know, that I've been dealing with the, with the day before. And he sees us. And he gives us this big wave. It's like, hey, over here. And he kind of shepherds us through. And we were being treated like VIPs. Uh, and he, like, stamps us through. And then he, like, takes us out the back. And there are these buses that go all the way to, uh, to Almaty. And he, and he puts us on one of the buses. And he says to the bus driver, you know, make sure these boys get to Almaty in one piece. And so, uh, so that, that's it. You know, we, we made it out of the country um, on, on foot. Not quite the way that we'd imagined. But, um, but yeah. Uh, in the end, we, story. Uh, we made it to, to Kazakhstan. That's incredible. That, that's a great story. And just like you said, something you try to focus on, smiling, being polite, being kind, goes a long way. And 
Mm. It's interesting when he kept disappearing. You're like, what is this guy doing? Keep disappearing. Yeah. He's, he's going to bat for you. You know, he's trying to help you out, which is which is great. So yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for for sharing this about your trip. This, I mean, it sounds amazing. What a long trip. What a exhausting mm. trip. But I'm sure it's just full of a bunch of great memories and just a lot that you'd probably look back on. You're you're glad you did it. And just kind of yeah, leave us leave us with that if you would. Just kind of when you when you think about it now, kind of what do you what comes to mind when you think about this trip? I think. What comes to mind when I think about the trip now, looking back on it, is just um, it's just such a crazy thing to do, you know. And I think almost like knowing what I know now, I kind of have a better appreciation for how difficult it would be to do something like that again. But at the time, you know, kind of having this belief um, that anything was possible and and that anything could be overcome was actually what we needed to overcome all of those obstacles that were seemingly um, insurmountable. So I look back on it with just like a huge amount of like gratitude and uh, and fond memories. And it was it was grueling at times, you know, it was, it was really, really tough, but it was just such an, an, an epic adventure. It was a great way to, to get to know Pete uh, in more, um, you know, we became quite close by the end of the trip. And, you know, we've now got this like shared experience and these shared memories. Um, and it's definitely shaped that that trip in particular definitely shaped the ones that came after it as well. And um, I, I, I remember thinking, this can't be the last adventure that I go on. You know, I, this, this has to just keep going because it's just too much fun. Mike, thank you so much for coming on Journey with Jake and sharing your story with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Special thanks to my guest, Mike Jennings. I am really grateful for him taking the time to chat with us on Journey with Jake. I really appreciate that. And his story and his experience was just fantastic. I felt like I was there with him, and I love the why and the reason why people do these things and the adventure and the excitement and just the experiences that you gain from going on these trips. I did want to mention that Mike Jennings came to me as a referral from a friend of mine, Troy Bird, and actually Troy Bird I'm going to have on the show in another month or so. You'll hear from Troy Bird. Came as a recommendation, so if you have anybody that you think I should talk to, even let me know on that. Send me an email, jake at journeywithjake.net. I would love to speak with him. Troy thought, hey, Mike would be a great person to reach out to. He's got a great story about a wonderful experience. And sure enough, that was fantastic. And I really appreciate that. Thanks so much again for taking the time to listen to Journey with Jake. Really appreciate having you here. Just remember, it's not always about the destination as it is about the journey. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.